very warm welcome to you from Equa Marketing. This presentation is brought to you by Equa.com, a leader in digital marketing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Growing Dentist Podcast Show. Today, I'm super excited to have with me Diana Thompson. She's the founder of Dental Practice, sorry, DentalPerformanceInstitute.com. Um, so, welcome, Diana. Welcome to Growing Dentist. Thank you for having me. Diana, for those of us who don't know a lot about you, can you, in a few minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into dentistry, what got you attracted, and your history helping dentists? Absolutely. So I've been in the industry going on 32 years. I actually started working in a dental practice after high school. Um, after I graduated high school, uh, long story short there, I started working with a periodontist as a dental assistant, not having any experience. However, this gentleman took me under his wing and taught me the ropes of dental assisting. And unfortunately, he became ill and he moved on from life. And I was living out of state. I'm actually originally from Chicago, but I took a hiatus on the East Coast. I came back to Chicago and I started working with temp agencies to find out what else was out there in the dental assisting arena. Fast forward 17 years later as an expanded function dental assistant, uh, presenting and selling treatment plans. And that's actually where I got my sales experience. I worked for a GP dentist here uh, in one of the Chicagoland suburbs and was doing very well. I was closing out a lot of business for him, and I knew right then and there that was my calling. So fast forward to working with uh, corporate company, dental companies such as a composite and adhesive company. Um, I also worked with a information technology firm, a startup uh, back prior to um, 9-11, and then from that point I moved forward to working with multi-site location practices, pretty much the growing DSO before DSO was even an acronym. And then from that point, uh, I started working with a company called Mercer Global Advisors, which was a national dental practice management consulting firm. They did transition consulting, but they also did financial planning. And I was with them for five years until they were acquired back in 08. After 08, I took uh, some time off because I was a road warrior. I was on the road all the time. And I knew it was time to start my own company. So I actually started the company in September 2011, but I didn't put a, a, face to the, a name to the face or face to the name of the company until January 2012. So Dental Performance Institute uh, came into play January 23rd, 2012, and we've been in business for five plus years. That's amazing. Um, why did you pick the name Dental Performance Institute? That's a great question. I get asked that often. The reason that I chose to name the company what I did first, I wanted our uh, our potential clients to know we were dental specific. Second is performance because in a dental practice, it's all about performance. If there's lack of performance, there's lack of productivity and profitability. If your performance is top notch, then there sky's the limit. And then institute meaning that it's always about learning. You can never stop learning. Once you get to a point that you cap out of learning, then it's like your life stops. So that's the meaning behind the company name. That's amazing. Um, you know, I've been looking at your website and doing some research, and um, I know something that you are known for, which is uh, you came up with this model called operational equity. Um, yes. I think you call it operational equity module. You have five of those. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about what it means and why you picked that name and what the five are? Absolutely. So since I've been analyzing practices solidly since 2003, and it's not just going and looking at a few numbers, we are dissecting practices on a very comprehensive level. And what I've noticed uh, in the past couple years, even before I started the company, was every time I would go into a practice, there was money still laying on the table. And what I mean by that is the dentists themselves are doing the work that they should be. They're practicing the art of dentistry. They are presenting treatment plans. They're offering hygiene services to their patients. Um, they are sending in insurance claims. And unfortunately, they have an AR due to money that's not, that's not collected. So as I'm going through all of these analysis, I've always noticed that five, four to five of them always stood out where if there is a customized follow-up program placed on it, it can regenerate the money back into the practice within one to three months. And then once the process is followed and it's standardized and organized, sky's the limit. So for the last two years, I've been doing this beta program and doing presentations on operational equity, but I didn't have a name to it. So July of last year, I was part of a sponsorship program where we invited growing dental service organizations to a meeting. They put together a business plan. They presented that business plan, and they met with trusted advisory partners in the dental industry to figure out how they could take their practice to the next level. And when I did a presentation on operational equity, the feedback that we received was phenomenal. And I knew right then and there that I needed to do something. I needed to do something to get this message out and set ourselves, set ourselves meaning Dental Performance Institute, apart to also offer this to dental clients out there that have no idea that all this money is sitting on the table. So in September of last year, I chose the title Operational Equity because it's all about operational modules, which are the five. And then it's all about equity, which is money sitting on the table, or what your practice or what those modules are worth. So fast forward to January of this year, I was so passionate about this that I registered the trademark operational equity. Now, within dental practices, it doesn't matter if it's GP, specialty, oral surgery, group practice, or multi-site practice. There's five modules that have money sitting on the table. They are your hygiene department, which breaks down into recare and perio. Then you have your outstanding treatment plans. Your third is your outstanding insurance claims. And your fourth is accounts receivable. Fifth one may not be in a GP practice unless it's a group setting, is real referral based. So when we go into a practice, those are the first five modules we hit. Now, it doesn't say that new patients aren't important because absolutely new patients are important because that's what grows your practice. Doesn't mean that the schedule's not important because absolutely the schedule's important, but it has to be scheduled properly depending on how the dentist or dentist function. But these four modules, to include that fifth one, if the practice has a referral base, those are the ones you want to hit first. Create a plan, show the practice what equity is sitting out there and how much it is possible to get back. So that's what operational equity means. Makes sense. So just to kind of bring it back to something I understand, everybody understands equity in your home, right? Real estate. Mm -hmm. So it's Absolutely. like you have this home in a in a uh, rental house in a, in a nice neighborhood, but it's kind of not taken care of. It's not painted, old kitchen, etc. Somebody comes mm -hmm. in, moves it up. Instead of renting it for thousand dollars a month, now they're renting it for two thousand dollars a month, and. Mm -hmm. Instead of you know the bank valuing the house for three hundred thousand, now the bank is valuing the house for five hundred thousand. 
is mm-hmm. that what you mean? Like, you know, how do you get that equity that's kind of hidden out of your business? Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because, yes, that could be a component of it. So if you if look at two different avenues, one avenue is a client that just wants to um, jumpstart their revenues, but they don't know how to do it because maybe they want to buy new equipment or maybe they want to add on a location. So what we would do is go in and analyze those modules, let them know what, how much equity is sitting on the table in each one of those modules, give them a total, and then give them an idea of the percentage they're going to get back. That's one. If they follow the program, if they don't follow our customized program, customized directly to that practice, then it may fail. Then you have the other side of the coin, which you have a dentist that, you know, may have three to five, seven years prior to their exit strategy. And they have a practice that, again, their internal structure may be a bit outdated, but their operational components are not functioning at the levels they should be. But they have to make their practice attractive to either a transition with an associate or to sell or whatever their, you know, focus may be. We go in and we let them know what those modules are worth, what we can do for them, so they can get their house in order on an operational level and maybe, you know, facility level or whatever it may be to make their practice attractive for sale. So that's where the equity comes in. So at one point, it's equity, but once you put time, energy, and investment into your business, that equity increases. And some, the majority of the time, it's just looking at your existing operational components and get them jump-started. Makes sense. One of the areas that I think a lot of people struggle with is, you know, unplanned or treatment that's not provided yet. I mean, there's all these patients and there's a lot of things we can do to help those patients, but for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. What do you call that in your model? That would be outstanding treatment plans slash case management slash treatment coordination. So if I had to put a a title to it, it would be outstanding treatment plans. Right. Can we talk more about this? I know you've been doing this from 2003. Um, can you share with me um, what do you typically see when you walk into a practice in terms of all the equity they're leaving on the table in this area? Absolutely. So when we analyze this operational module, there's several things we see. Obviously, first we pull reports to dissect those reports. We take a look at services and uh, service codes. Uh, We take a look at the individual or individuals that are presenting the treatment plans to the patient. We look at their financial arrangements. Do they have them? How are they handling them? Um, uh, Are they presenting them properly to the patient? So there's a lot of different angles that we look at. But once we figure that out, then we can lay it out in a very layman's terms type of plan that shows here's your current reality, here's how much is sitting there, this is how much we can get back. So what we usually see with treatment plans, first is the dentist or dentist providers or hygienists. They're diagnosing and or identifying, and they're placing these treatment plans into the computer. However, sometimes there's multiple treatment plans in the computer just for one patient, and they're not being cleaned up in a timely manner. So that escalates the amount of operational equity that's sitting there. So obviously there's gotta be a level of cleanup. Um, and then other times there are treatment plans in the computer that have been completed, but they're not being pulled through the treatment plan of their software system just because maybe the team doesn't know how to use the software system properly. So there's a lot of different uh, dynamics there that go into play on a training level. So another area is the person or people that are presenting these treatment plans in a treatment coordination type method. They're not salespeople. 
they don't or they may not understand the level of purchase when a consumer is purchase, purchasing an emotional type service as dentistry. Uh, they want to get the patient in and out due to time. Um, so the treatment coordination process is very imperative and, had, and those people should be trained properly. And if not, that also causes that operational equity module to skyrocket. So we take a look at an abundant amount of categories within that component and create a customized plan to get that component back on track and where it's, it's actually like a well-oiled machine, but that also takes time. But just by cleaning it up and looking at certain aspects of it, we can regenerate at least 25 to 50% of those dollars back into the practice within one to three months. Again, if the office follows our customized program, because we customize the program to the dental practice themselves. We don't try to fit them into our type of you know, training module. It all depends on how that practice functions because even though they're dental practices, they all function differently depending on you know, their services, depending on insurances, depending on if they're state funded. There's a lot of different components that go into that. Right. Let's talk about one of those examples you cited, patient experience. Um, what's like a horror story you have seen? Uh, yes, what's the horror story you have seen and uh, What's uh, 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 and, and what happened? Just give me give me some color. Okay, so I apologize. You want a horror story I've seen? Yes, like you know when you walk in, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And then how did you turn it around when it comes to patient experience? Okay, so I, I don't know if I call it a horror story, but I see this often. Um, what I see usually is, and just to backtrack a little bit, when we do an analysis on the practice, we interview all the team members within the business. And the reason for that is we need to find out what their experience level is, what they're comfortable doing, what they're not comfortable doing. And you know, as Ken Blanchard said, are they on the right seat of the bus? Are they sitting in the right seat? Are they on the right bus, just not in the right seat? Or do they need to get off the bus? So we evaluate these team members to make sure they're sitting in the right seat of the bus. So. First thing when I go into a practice besides looking at the reporting, I'm looking at the person and I'm evaluating the person or people that are placed in this position. What we usually find is the person in that position, they're not salespeople. They don't want to sell. Then they also judge the patient. It's kind of like judge a book by its cover. Whatever the belief system is of that treatment coordinator, a lot of times the treatment coordinator's belief system is passed on to the patient. For example, Maybe the treatment coordinator is, uh, she doesn't really have a lot of money. You know, she's living paycheck to paycheck, or he or she's living paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes that belief system goes on to the patient, such as the treatment coordinator is very conservative. They think that patient is very conservative. And I, that's really one of the components I see often. Um, another component is time, where the treatment coordinator has a person in their chair they're trying to you know, present this treatment plan, get the financial arrangements in place, then they got somebody waiting. So now they're pressured to get this patient done so they can go bring the other patient in. Third is there's no tracking. There's no tracking of the metrics that are closing out these cases. So the treatment coordinator is not tracking their successes and or lack thereof successes. So those are pretty much the three that I see. So I really wouldn't say it's a horror story what I would say it's an opportunity for change and for growth to better that business. Right, so we talked about the first one is um, uh, their life, they're living paycheck to paycheck, so they believe every patient is living paycheck to paycheck. 
So they bring right, right. They're living conservatively. Mm -hmm. They bring that um, mindset when they're talking to patients. And so even if the patient is willing and able to spend, they kind of might guide them in a direction where the patient doesn't, you know, end up spending or accepting that treatment. Correct? Correct. Correct. And the second one is uh, there's no met. I think I missed the second one. I'll paraphrase the third one. Uh, the third one is they, they uh, don't measure and kind of see how they are doing and they don't improve. So it's the same old thing happening again and again and again. Is that correct? And, correct. What and the second one was that they are trying to present to one patient why they have another patient waiting. So that they're pressured to get this patient out the door because they have another patient waiting. So that coordination pro process of uh, working with one patient and working with the next patient isn't coordinated properly. And really, that should also be talked about in the morning meeting or the daily huddle or whatever it may be that the practice calls it. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I understand. So the first one, let's kind of dive in. The first one is that um, Robert Cialdini, he talks about, you know, how to influence people. And uh, he wrote a book uh, called, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, called um, uh, Influence. Uh, and he wrote another book called Persuasion. He's an amazingly smart guy. And uh, he talks about six things that, are very powerful. One is consistency and commitment. And he goes on to say, if people have a certain belief and you kind of um, go against that belief, it's hard. So, for example, I, I think I'm a price chopper. So I call you and say, how much is dot, dot, dot? You're saying, well, I can't give you the price. is not going to endear them towards you. What you could say is, you know, uh, for crowns, it, it, it starts at this amount, but it, go, but it depends on exactly what treatment we need. Why don't we get you in so we can set up a treatment? So same way um, on this idea of consistency, you know, they believe a certain belief, right, based on their lifestyle and their circumstances. Now, somehow you need to shift that. So what's the way you go about doing it? Is it possible to shift somebody who have that mindset, you know, everybody's living paycheck to paycheck? I think anything is possible if the team member themselves want to change to that component. Now, there's certain competencies when it comes to uh, a person's personality that you just can't change. So if a person is really not comfortable selling, you don't want a person like that in that position because first off, you're setting them up to fail. And when a person feels like they're set up to fail, they're not going to progress at the levels they should be. So I think, you know, Anything's possible with training somebody, but you have to evaluate that person, make sure you have the right person doing this position. Yeah, so, right. so for example, some people think money is evil, right? So having somebody like that selling is hard because for them, getting somebody to pay more money doesn't feel right. Right, and it, in, in, that, in that case, I apologize. In that case, if somebody, if that treatment coordinator has that mindset, trying to voice that to the patient you're already dead in the water. You know, that's why it's so important to have the right person in that position. And, if again, if you don't, it's just not going to work out. So, and, again, it's not when the person, the treatment coordinator, is working this, they really should be thinking on the level. It's about the patient's overall health and well-being. It's not about the dollars. Yes, you know, one of the hot buttons for um, all of us as consumers is money. We want to make sure that we're getting the value that is being presented to us which in, with the service of the product that we're looking to purchase. And if, excuse me, the value's not there, then 
the person's not going to purchase this, whether it's for their well-being or not. So again, there is a way to present uh, the treatment that the doctor and or the hygienist have put forth. But again, if that person doesn't believe certain things, that's not going to come across to the patient. So, you know, the treatment coordinator has to be on the same level of the thought process of the providers so they know how to close those cases. Because, yes, it is all about patient care, their well-being, and their health, but it's also about running a business. So it has to be parallel. And that, that's a challenge to, to teach to somebody that doesn't want to be in that position. Right, right. That's interesting. Um, and also the, the team members have to work together, right? For example, one person sends one message, somebody else sends a different message. Now the, the patient is going to start doubting what's being said. Exactly. That's where consistency comes in. So the team has to be aligned with the doctors and all the providers, and the doctors and the providers have to be aligned with the team. So again, that's where that consistency comes in, because if one person breaks the consistency chain, then there's going to be issues, and the well-oiled machine is going to stop because the oil is running out of the machine. I see that happen often as well, because nobody's on the same page. They're just operating in their position to sometimes just to get through the day, depending on how busy these practices are. Right, right. That makes makes ton of sense. Let's kind of dissect other parts of uh, you know um, people not um, you know prescribing all the treatments and you know making those treatments happen. What are some of the other issues you see in that in that bucket? Um, the other issues I see within that bucket is the follow-up. The follow-up is lacking. Uh, what, I usually, what I usually see is when I go into dissect the reporting, what I see is a trend. And that trend usually is, and again, it's the way that the practice is working these reports. A lot of times the practice is working the reports through the computer instead of printing them out. And again, if you're paperless, that's another that that's actually another area to cover. But you know, if you're paperless, there is a difference between paperless and chartless. So if you're a chartless office, that's one thing. If you're a paperless office, that's another thing. So usually in chartless offices, what I see is because they don't want to print paper, is that they look at the reporting through the computer, and then there's a different way to make their notes. So what happens is the off the person that's doing the follow up for this operational module. They're starting from A to L, or A to M, or A to, A to N. And they get to the end of the month, then they look at the report again, and they start from A to N. So the end of the reporting isn't even followed up on for maybe two to three months. And I see that often. So instead of having a structured, customized follow-up program for the module, that you're hitting all of the names on that report within the month, then we have uh, a program that's not working at the levels it should be. Right. And the other thing I assume you see is that they think all patients are the same, right? Some people like a lot of details, some people like to think about it. Yes, yes. So when working with patients, you have to work with these patients individually, not as a group. So if you have one patient that says, you know, I'm ready to go, 
that's the best patient in the world. You know, you set up the financial arrangements, you get a down payment, you know, you schedule this person, that's a great day. Then you have another person come, comes in and says, you know what, I need to talk to my significant other, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, well, the follow-up to that is to make a note to get back to that patient within a timely manner. But besides making that note, ask the patient. I understand, you, you know, first tell the patient, I understand that you have to speak with your significant other. May I give you a call in a day or two just to follow up so, you know, we can get this treatment done in a timely manner so it doesn't get, grow into a bigger situation. Okay, so there's a follow-up program there, but then follow up with that patient. Um, so there's always a level of follow-up that should be done with each of these patients depending on what their situation is. And I see that in the practices a lot of time that follow-up's not done within a timely manner and then it's forgotten about. And then the patient cases aren't discussed either. So then they just sit on a list. Makes sense. What about the dentist? Any areas where you feel dentists are not playing an A game in this in this uh bucket yeah i where i think dentists could uh be more of a part of the treatment coordination is if they are presenting treatment plans and they know that they're passing that baton to their treatment coordinator whoever's doing whoever is presenting that plan at least once a week or you know maybe every two weeks follow up with that personally i would like once a week follow up with that person dedicate the time and the schedule to follow up with your treatment coordinator and go through these cases and figure out a plan to get these cases closed. You know, maybe if the doctor uh, presented a very comprehensive plan and the patient's like, no, you know, maybe, maybe we should look at doing something a little less, then let's figure that out to get the patient in the schedule and, you know, get them back to overall health. There's different ways that I feel that the dentist and or the hygienist can work with that treatment coordinator to get these cases closed because it's not all on the treatment coordinator's back. It should be a group effort and collaboration should be part of it. Right. What do you typically see in practices like before you and after you in this, in this area? Like what kind of a difference do you typically see and how long does it take? Absolutely. And I can tell you about a client we're working with right now. Um, client had within their treatment, uh, I'm sorry, within their outstanding treatment report, they had over $875,000 sitting in their outstanding treatment plan. So, and that was for 12 months, okay? So once I dissect, or once I started to dissect further, what I started to see is some of these plans were duplicated. Uh, some of the treatment wasn't pulled, it wasn't taken out of the treatment plan, which means you could pull the treatment out of the treatment plan and close it and gets it off the report. So, you know, there was some cleanup involved. So after, you know, taking a look at all the numbers and figuring out and giving them a number, usually what we can predict is out of that 875, we can usually get about 50% back with 50 50% back in the practice within about one to three months, again, if they follow the system. Okay, so what we did was for the first month, it's basically working with the treatment coordinator to clean up these plans and teach them how to utilize their software system properly where we're, first we're not getting duplicate plans and the treatment's being pulled out of the patient's treatment plan, which it gets it off the report altogether once the treatment is completed. So that was the first month. And then working with her to start, or her or him, excuse me, because we, in this practice, they had a male and a female treatment coordinator. So then what they would do is start calling these patients to, you know, 
reach out to them to see what their status was, you know, how they're feeling, how that area is doing, uh, depending on, you know, what the conversation was. So now they can start getting these patients back into the schedule because a lot of times the patients forget. Uh, and then the third part of that was with some patients, they could have qualified for third-party financing, which could help them to, uh, you know, to complete their treatment plan. So there was an amount of training going on there. So after three months, what we did was we collected close to $523,000 back into their revenue stream. And that was only in three months. So that, that's a big component. That was huge. That was actually one of our uh, case studies that I'm speaking about now in our uh, in seminars and workshops that I speak at. That's amazing. And usually that's unheard of because usually it's, it's, it's only a third of that that we get back into practice in one to three months. Right. But these two were very diligent, and they wanted to clean it up, and they did just that. Let me, let's talk, talk about insurance. A lot of doctors leave insurance claims on the table, right, meaning they don't collect. Can you talk more about uh, this operational equity module? Absolutely. So what we see, again, with working with outstanding insurances, meaning they're outstanding insurance claims. And in each computer system, there's an out outstanding insurance claims report. And depending on uh, how the claims are submitted, majority of, of offices have electronic claims, but there's still offices out there that don't use electronic claims. So we, first we say we have to get you on electronic claims. So for offices that are on electronic claims, what we do is we pull the report and we look at all claims from 90 days plus out all the way to current. And what we find with this is what we find with this report and with the team or team members that are working this report is pretty much the same as outstanding treatment plans. They pull a report or they look at it in the computer and they only get so far on it and then they pull the report or look at it in the computer the next month and we're missing just a full boat of insurance outstanding insurance claims. Now, when working with outstanding insurance claims, there is a time limit to follow up on these claims. So for example, one of the clients we're working with right now, they had 42 pages of outstanding insurance claims just from 30 days to over 90 days. And a lot of these claims, now mind you, this wasn't the state of Illinois, so there, there were some Delta claims sitting out there from the state, which now they're getting paid on, thank goodness. But there were other claims out there that haven't been followed up on and some were like two, three years. So what we did was I sat with the insurance billing person at that time because we actually hired two people for this practice because they're high volume. And we went through that like a fine tooth comb. And I sat with this person for two straight months, three times a week, and we cleaned up this report. And we were calling into the insurance companies. We were looking at the claims online, depending if they had access, depending if they were in network. There was a lot of work that went into this. But the money was just sitting there. Now, there were some claims we couldn't collect from because it, they were past the limit. But working with her and knowing which questions to ask and how to ask these questions and what was great with them is they had all of their follow-up paperwork. They printed it out. They put it in the chart of all of the diagnostics they sent, any perio charting, anything. That's really what saved this office. And just within 90 days, we regenerated 30% of their money back into the practice. And unfortunately, I don't have the specific numbers, but I do remember it was 30%. How much money do you typically see people um, 
leaving on the table or not collecting, uh, or does it vary a lot? It, it does vary. So for uh, for one example, with all four modules, or actually the two examples I'm going to give didn't, give didn't have the fifth module because they didn't have a referral base. Um, one of the practices we evaluated in January had close to $975,000 altogether sitting on the table in all four modules. Um, I had another practice that we did uh, last year. Uh, they were uh, multi, they were group practice, and they had close to one point, actually it was 1.8 out of all four modules sitting on the table, but they had a lot of cleanup to do because they had transition of two doctors. So uh, that's usually at the high end. I usually don't see it that high. It could range anywhere between 900,000 plus to maybe 1.2 million. Wow. Now, are they going to get all those dollars back? No, they will not. And I'm going to say that again. No, they will not. But once we figure out what's going on and why this is all sitting there, we get the right people in the right positions, we train them properly, we can get this equity back into the practice within one to three months. And I'm going to say 25 to 50%. In other cases, we got more than 50%. But again, it just depends on the practice themselves. Right. how they follow the program. And we're pretty diligent. You know, once we put the action plan together for them, our team is in the trenches with them, working side by side with them. So we're just not giving them a, uh, an action plan and saying, go do it yourself. We'll call you in three months. That's not the way it is. We are working side by side with them because we want to get results for them. Because, they, you know, these dentists and the providers, they work hard, you know, and they have an abundant amount of patients that they're, you know, working with yearly. So we want to make sure that, they get their hard-earned money back in the door as much as possible. Because again, some of this isn't going to be reactivated or regenerated. How long would it take for you to figure out how much money is sitting on the table? Oh, it doesn't take me very long. So what we usually do is we analyze the practice, uh, which means we interview all the team members, we pull all the reporting, and then we come back and we do an observation day, depending on if it's one location or multi-locations, because each location has an observation day. And then off-site, I, I actually do all the analysis for our businesses, and I do all the uh, creating of their practice analysis reports and their operational equity reports. I don't pass that down to our team. So once I do, after the observation day, we come back and I go through the reports like a fine-tooth comb, and I create their current reality. I create their outstanding operational equity, and then I create an action plan to work on getting those dollars back in the practice in all four and or five of those modules. We also look at new patients. We also look at scheduling. We look at their profit and loss. So it's a pretty comprehensive, uh, uh, not just comprehensive document, but it's a comprehensive type of situation that we do. So it's not just going and looking at a few reports and saying, here's what you need. Um, so then after that, we present our findings to the owners of the business and the team. And then uh, we get started. We get started with implementing that plan and, and figuring out what's, how we're going to do it and what's going to work best for the practice. That's amazing. Now, once you go and clean up and get the money off the table and you put it on their bank, in, in their bank accounts, how do you make sure that they don't go back and balloon up to a million dollars sitting on the table? How do you make sure that you're on a tight ship? Yeah, in each of those modules, we do create a metrics plan that they, not only that I can follow up on or see how the progress is coming along, but also that the offices can follow up on. And we teach them how to uh, collect the numbers. Um, we, and now, in some instances, the majority of our clients use a third-party software system to collect this data. 
um, I don't want to give the names uh, at this time. I'm sure that people in the industry know, you know, what services I'm talking about. So if the office already has this in place, uh, collecting that data is a lot easier than doing it manually. But again, there's offices that don't have those third-party collect, you know, uh, softwares in place. So they do have to collect it manually. Everybody's different. Personally, I would rather have uh, an automated system within these practices to help them to get the metrics and be able to follow up in a timely manner instead of collecting the data. So we put metric systems or metrics focused on every one of these operational components because we want to see you know, how it's being cleaned up, how it's growing, and then we're not going backwards. So even though I said we're with, you know, within one to three months we can regenerate certain amounts of revenue, usually we're with our clients uh, within six, 12, 18 months, depending on how long you know, the project is, or if they want us to keep following up with them on a monthly basis, it's just, it depends. It's just all customized to each of our practices or each of our clients. Right. How would somebody get a hold of you then? There's several ways they can get a hold of us. Uh, first, on our website, they can fill out a contact form. And after they fill out a contact form, what they can also do is I have a scheduler on there through a company called Calendly. I can say that. But what they would do is they would set up a half an hour uh, comprehend, or I'm sorry, um, complimentary consultation with us, and that, and they would speak directly with me. And what they would do is tell us what they're looking to do, what some of their challenges are, and we'll let them know if we can help them. And if we can't help them, then you know we can uh, suggest one of our trusted advisory partners that can. The majority of the time, we can help them, especially if it's operationally, team dynamic related, financial related. Um, but in some cases, like if they need real estate or, you know, they need something else, that's not our wheelhouse. But they would be able to contact us through the website. And on our website also, too, is our office phone number. So all of our information is on our website or on any of our social media outlets. Makes sense. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciated your time today. Any final oh, thank you. wrap up? Pardon me? Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I just want to say thank you for the invitation to be on your podcast. Uh, our company is extremely passionate about uh, operational equity and about helping dentists, no matter you know if they're GP specialty group, no matter if they're single location, a couple locations, you know, multi-site growing DSO. We're all about helping dentists regenerate this equity find their place in the dental world right now because there's so many changes, different dynamics. We just want to make sure that they're successful because if you know our clients and potential clients are successful, then we're successful at Dental Performance Institute. Right. Thank you, Dan. And I think um, what you have done with the operational equity model, I think is brilliant. Like you said, it makes you stand out and um, allows people to, you know, get to the bottom line, you know, first and then and then grow from there as opposed to, you know, just trying to do too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Growing Dentist Podcast Show. And thank you, Diana, for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.